ain't nothing about just his luck. Boy, this ambition. Nothing gets in our way. We on a clear mission. We making plans. We just trying to lift society. Working so hard that we growing notoriety. And we born to drive. Yeah, it's inside of me. Eric, Mark, and James. We giving game. They inspiring. Adam clear with the vision. It's so deployable. You do what you want when you live in life. Unemployable. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Unemployable. We are here on Super Bowl Sunday in the US. Super Bowl Monday in Australia. And we have an absolutely epic session ahead of us today. I cannot wait for you guys to meet today's guest. But as always, how is everybody today? James, what's going on? Oh, mate, very well. Very indeed. Had a great weekend. We had the Unemployable Coaching uh, Boat Day on Saturday, which is a, um, a runaway bestseller from all accounts. And um, Eric inappropriately dressed one, uh, once again. So uh, we'll, uh, <laughs> more to follow on that, though. <laughs> uh, Eric, how are you, buddy? Honestly, I'm good. It was good. It was a great, great Saturday. Honestly, the energy that was in the room, that was in the boat, having everyone come to the studio it was it was amazing. Yeah, we had, uh, for those of you unaware of what we're talking about, we had 70 of our coaching clients from around the country join us here on the Cold Coast on the weekend. We took them for a private backstage tour of Eric's company, the MX Store, down in uh, Burley Heads. Him and his two business partners were kind enough to let us go through. It's one of Australia's, or if, well, is Australia's largest online MX retailer. You can look it up online. Over $100 million a year in revenue, more than 170 staff. And for a lot of people, that was such an eye-opening experience. Uh, to see in real life a business that has just done the right thing for over a decade, one of uh, the Gold Coast's uh, business success stories. And then we took them on a boat um, and cruised the Broadwater for a bit, which is fun. And we took them here to the studio uh, and then we had dinner together. So it was a great day. What was really interesting is the combined revenue of our clients that were there that day was over $200 million on the boat and throughout the day. So when you're thinking about growing your networks, what a great room to be in. Yeah. And, and speaking of... Gold Coast success stories. Tim, welcome to the pod. How are you? Oh, very well, thank you. Yeah. Um, pretty excited to be here, to be honest. Yeah. I'm sitting with you lads. It's, um, yeah, I'm pretty jazzed about what's happening today. Yeah, guys, today we have Tim Dawson in the studio. And, and for those of you who don't know Tim, and that would be most of most of the people because you're a bit like Eric, you're sort of this dark horse, uh, under the radar Gold Coast dude who's built a phenomenal business. And congratulations on on your success. I love these stories, especially when they come from the Gold Coast, because I've seen, I've read about you in interviews and you, like us, are a real champion for the Gold Coast and how, um, you know, it's becoming a place where there are real businesses uh, here. Uh, Tim's Builder Business started in 2010 selling shower grates and currently on track to do around $20 million a year selling shower grates throughout the country and just now entering into the US. So this is an exceptional story that we're going to uh, get right into today. So thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, I just wanted to, as always, guys, say that if you do enjoy the pod, please um, like, subscribe and drop a comment. We read all the comments. Um, we do uh, really listen to what you're saying. Uh, we are finding our stride now, I think. Um, we're, we're getting into our groove. We know what we're doing. Um, and each week we're trying to get better. But your comments really do matter. And the reason the subscription matters, guys, is the more subscribers we have, the better the quality of guests we're able to attract to the show. People like Tim don't need to be here. He comes here to inspire others and to help others on their journey. And the bigger the audience, the more the motivation to actually um, come on and share. So with that being said, we're going to dump right in today. We haven't got too much preamble or banter. Um, 
we, we really want to unpack, Tim, how you've gotten on this journey. So for the listeners at home, just give us the headline numbers of your business and then we're going to start right back at the beginning because for many people listening, they're just starting out or they're just scaling up, but you've been through it all. You've been bankrupt, you've recovered from bankruptcy, you've gone on to build a multi eight-figure business, but just give us the headline numbers of where you are today. Yeah, current terms today, uh, we're looking, just nudging the 20 million mark uh, on a global scale, um, even though the global's just started. So 80% of that is um, predominant Australian revenue. Uh, 2,000 stores across uh, Australia and New Zealand um, and expanding rapidly uh, into the US. And um, yeah, uh, employing approximately 150 people across five different countries from the manufacturing to the selling to the marketing, Um, yeah. That's incredible. So when you say 2,000 stores, those are retailers that are selling your product. Um, And one of the things that really caught my attention is you started off with 1,000 products and then you've reduced it to one and you've gone from there. So um, that alone is going to be a whole conversation in itself. But Eric, you've known Tim for a a while now. Maybe you want to kick off with some of the questions and and get the conversation rolling because you've, you've known him for a long time. You've seen him along the way. Actually, I might ask the first question now that I think of it. I read in one of the articles, you said that you had a background in electrical, you've had a background in um, uh, uh, cabinet making, real estate and construction. And one of the quotes I read in an article, I love this quote, you said, I know what it's like to be using materials that are not up to scratch. And I've worked with products where it's clear that the person who made it never used it. How much of that sort of has been the basis of your success at Lox's Greats? Uh, pretty much everything. Yeah. Um, I really got sick of tired trying to install or work with people, um, especially contractors, trades um, on projects where the, the, you, they purchase the product and you try to install it, it doesn't work. Mm. You know, it doesn't suit our environment. Um, that's what took me on the journey 14 years ago to find product that actually worked for the Australian market. Um, unbeknownst to me, I didn't realise that stuff's not made for this market. Yeah, We just buy it. We just put up with whatever's, whatever's on the shelf and we go and use it. So that's where, yeah, the product, every product that I've developed has been to better um, better the product to make, ensure that it actually works for the person that's put it in to make it quicker, more efficient yeah. um, and more cost effective as well. So for people at home, what we might do is we might bring up the website quickly. Greg, you can throw this up and uh, let us see because I think that serves as a really good foundation so people know what we're talking about when we talk about Lorx's greats g-r-a-t-e-s lorxesgreats.com these are vertical shower grates right is that basically it how would you describe the product it's a linear floor channel system so a linear drain um drain for the americans listening um or a grate um we like to play the word great um because it is great you know everything we've developed from um traditional it's always been um made out of stainless steel uh, the problem with stainless steel is that you can't um, manipulate it as easy. It needs to be manufactured. And a, a simple pro- product or a little simple process in a project um, would hold up multiple trades in, if you're trying to customise one. So coming up with something that was customisable, um, made of al- uh, anodised aluminium, um, it can be cut, manipulated on site in front of you um, where we just cut all that downtime out. Um, doesn't matter if there's a mistake, you can easily rectify it with the product um, on site. So there's no waiting anymore. Um, it makes boring TV because it just works for the types of shows out there that are trying to make a bit of drama around it. Um, it just, it's just easy. 
And so builders love this product because I, I noticed that you had a 25-year guarantee against what are the challenges that, 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 that traditional solutions didn't solve that you solved? Yeah, just everyone's making product that doesn't last as long, you know, obviously looking for repeat business. I don't think that's a great foundation for a business to start. Um, I'm looking for something that's going to have longevity. You know, it's going to outlast your ideas of colour creation. You know, um, people are going to renovate before they, they pull this stuff out. So we saw um, that, that time that time frame speeding up now. Um, so I'm, I wanted to make sure that, you know, the product does last and that gives that, that quality of guarantee to customers. Um, to the end consumers, to the trades using it, um, that it's going to be still there in another 20 years' time. So, so what was your background exactly prior to launching Loxus? So it says here, cabinet making, electrical. Yep. So what? Get, take us back to the beginning. What? What? Where did you start? Um, started in the building and cabinet game. Um, so making cabinets. Um, dropped out of school when I was 15. Um, really, school wasn't for me. I wanted to get my. I was pretty good with my hands, making stuff. So getting, uh, starting with cabinet making, um, and then by the time I was 19, um, I'd started my electrical apprenticeship because cabinet making wasn't doing it for me. Um, so I did my electrical apprenticeship. I was fully qualified by just yeah, a couple of months shy of being 21. Um, and then I kicked off my own, my own adventure when I was 21. So I started my own electrical business, um, grew and scaled that through that journey. Um, I acquired my builder's license, started building and developing properties as well as doing electrical um, and I found my real estate license as well, started selling selling some of the development that I was doing. So I had a bit of entrepreneurial ADD, just uh, wanted to do a bit of everything. Um, and then, yeah, that's when the sort of world, that's when everything sort of some started coming crashing down. Um, I didn't do business. I didn't understand business. I didn't know how to do it. When you say came crashing down, what yeah. are you referring to? Um, so what happened, I underestimated obviously um, my numbers in the business so that's the biggest um, key takeaway for me and the, the lessons that I've had is understanding your business through your numbers um, I didn't didn't value the tax system um, I, I honestly just I was flying blind and um, yeah in at the end um, through that journey doing all the good things you know great great rapport building great relationships um, but I couldn't hold off the, um, the Australian tax office any longer and they, they're the ones that sent me bankrupt. So um, yeah, it was obviously looking back now, it was the, the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And um, at the time, it certainly wasn't. What year? What year was this? 2008. Yep. And that was across which business or all of them combined? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and the setup, the setup was I didn't, um, that was all personal. Right, so the whole, whole lot went under. Yeah, everything. So you lost everything in everything. 2008. Everything. And a lot of that was just to do with tax planning? Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yep. So yep. What, you, you didn't have an accountant or mentorship or? Nope, nothing. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, there was a lot of ego driving it. Um, I thought I knew everything. Yep. Um, and I'd been in business and looking at other people that were you know, 28, 28 years old as well. And I'm like, they're still living with their mom. You know, and I'm, you know, I'm working hard and I've got all these businesses going on. I'm doing all this great stuff, but it didn't, um, that didn't matter. You know, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And yeah, through this journey, I've had to learn this stuff. To so what was the rebuild phase from that, from the, the, the call it rock bottom, you've lost mm. everything, you've gone tits up uh, mm. in 2008. What was that um, turnaround period to, from starting uh, the Luxus Greats in 2010? Yeah, so... The first and foremost, obviously, not being able to run or manage a business. Um, 
is is difficult you know so i'm like what can i do you know so that was where i really lent into some of these ideas um, around the lighting products um lineal grates toilet tapware um you name it you know that's that's how it scaled in a few years to 1100 different products that i put together and i was trying to trying to market or sell into the marketplace um so all these concepts all these uh, i yeah it was difficult i to be honest in that first few years i i felt like I, I could, I got myself out of the um, rut um, by doing all the stuff, but I was still quite naive to what had happened. Um, and even though I was broken, I didn't want to run the business. I didn't want to do anything. All I wanted to do was just hide behind the scenes and um, make product because that's what I know how to do best. You know, I can engineer, manufacture anything. So <clears throat> what did you do to pull yourself out of that, like mentally? Because... There was no such thing as ice baths back then and meditation no. and all no. this stuff, you know, like no. <laughs> <laughs> no. that helped with this type of thing. But like you're 28 years old. Yeah. 2008. Yeah. You've had multiple businesses doing some developments, making money. Then all of a sudden the ATO comes in, punches you in the face, yep. sends you bankrupt. Yeah. No kids at that time. Yeah. My, my son was just born. The son was just born. So married. Jesus. Married, son's just born, yep. on your knees, yeah, mentally. yeah. Uh, How did you bring yourself out of it? Who is your support system? What did you do? Oh, it's hard to talk about it, guys. Um, yeah, it's pretty... <laughs> yeah, it's heavy. When you, when, you, yeah, when you say it back like that, yeah. um, you know, it definitely brings flashbacks. Um, yeah, I was pretty broken. You know, um, so the underneath level, yeah, I was very broken, you know, but I didn't want people to see that. I don't want people to know <laughs> what had gone on. I didn't tell any of my family. I didn't tell anyone. Yeah. You know, I kept all, that to, uh, kept all that to myself. So on the surface level, um, everything looked smooth and coasting along like a duck, you know, just cruising across the top of the water. But underneath, you know, there's all this franticness. And that was all my anxiety, worry, concern. Um, I, at that stage, I... <laughs> The Secret and um, was one of the books that I'd read and uh, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad Poor Dad, something, I don't know how I kicked across it or how, how I picked it up um, and I never read a book since grade six. Never picked up. That's the book like that changed that. my life as well. Yeah, yeah. and I, I picked it up, read it and went, wow, this is pretty interesting. So it was through that little bit of inspiration um, to just... Yeah, grab myself off the ground um, and then look to, okay, if I've screwed this up, how, how can I get around this? How can I, how can I st uh, speak to people that you know, haven't screwed it up? You know, look for further inspiration. So I guess it, it took a few years you know, to say, you know, the first few years was, I was quite broken and uh, upset with myself. Um, but then after that, then I started to build a network, a network of people that actually believed in what I was doing, a network of people that supported what I was doing, not just sitting there having a pity party with me and blaming the tax office and blaming all the things that went wrong or the guy that owed me money and all these sorts of issues. Um, and um, the more I uncovered and uh, it, there was, there's people out there that want to support it. How, how did you like actually do that though? Like uh, you're sitting there in 2008, you've got a young child, you're probably dealing with shame and anxiety all at one time. Yeah. You're completely unemployable <laughs> because it's all you've ever done That's, since you were 21. Yeah. Like I've been in business same yeah. since I was 21. I couldn't do a job. So you got no money, I'm assuming. You can't borrow money. You can't be a director. 
you said you were creating products in the background. So how do you, because I know a lot of people use it as an excuse, like, oh, I'm, and they're not bankrupt. They're just broke. Yeah. Right. But they're not dealing with the anxiety and shame that would come with bankruptcy and having to manage all this hiding of stuff. Right. Um, I went through a similar thing. Um, I didn't go bankrupt, but I, but I, uh, I went through very tough times. How did you actually, uh, like you said, you were, you were making products. So how do you make products when you've got no money? How do you build a network when you feel embarrassed um, and not your best self? Like, what were you actually doing at that time to stay in the game from that extremely disadvantaged position? Um, so right from the 2010 mark, that's where I, I claim from where, where the concept and everything started was my first um, entry into um, Asia. You know, that was my first entry over there. Um, and at that time, my, um, my silent partner or my partner in, in crime, he had connections and, and had, had a shed full of random product, you know, that he thought was okay for his building and projects. And when I looked at it all, I said, you're never gonna sell any of this. Australia doesn't want this garbage. Let's fire sale this stuff. And with the money that we make out of this fire sale, we'll turn it into some um, real product, you know, buy this product, buy this light, buy this fitting. And that's sort of how it got started with no money um, because it was just turning someone's misfortune of buying the wrong stuff and turn it into real stuff. So I did car park sales, garage sales. Wow. I did everything I could to get rid of this stuff, rung mates and said, oh, no, this stuff's no good, but I'll, I'll sell it to you cheap. So yeah. Is that when I met you? You were trying to sell me cheap Chinese shit? That's <laughs> exactly how we met. You're, you're on the hunt for it. So, um, <laughs> so <laughs> Touche. Yeah, no and wonder on my house flooded. You're, you love it. Cheap, <laughs> so um, that's the, literally the ground of it. It was just turning that, turning an opportunity or turning that, uh, those items into into a bit of cash and then being more selective with what I was purchasing. So I just want to make the point here because when you're listening to somebody like Tim, you're listening to somebody who's unconsciously competent, which means he has become successful, but they quite often haven't put together how they do what they do. No, no. Do you know what I mean? And so what what was just said there that in the remnants of this um, terrible situation was a relationship Yep. And, and, and was, a, was, was, was one of the remaining things when you lose all else are your relationships, is your network. There was one guy who had some stuff and then trusted Tim still that he partnered with and was able to rise from the ashes from. And this is why it's so important to respect and invest in relationships. Would, would you agree with that? 100%. And, yeah. and through the whole process, it was not, it's still helping people, you know, looking after people. And that's how the obviously the conversation come about. Um, this particular fellow was in and out of the country quite regularly and um, you know, I could see that he had some issues or problems, um, be able to attend to stuff when he was away. And um, I knew I had a little bit of time because I wasn't as busy as I used to be. Um, so I just I started helping him. You so know. you started providing value to this guy and you said yeah. your first entry into China. So did yeah. you go to a trade show or something yeah. to source these? Like, so now yeah. you've got a little bit of capital that's come in from yeah. this dude. You're working as the behind the scenes dude. Correct. Walk us through what you actually did to find these products. So, yeah, entering entering um, China, uh, Asia for the first time at one of the largest trade fairs in, in the world called the Kenton Fair. Um, walking through that place, it changed my life. You know, it just opened my eyes to where a lot of this product does come from, who it's made for, you know, and that realisation was that everyone's going over there asking for product um, essentially off the shelf or ideas that they've already got. Um, and then bringing it back here to the Australian market and trying to sell it. 
And that's why. That's why we have this problem of that product doesn't suit here. That light fitting's not for this for this country. Mm. That that tap or that faucet that isn't meant for the Australian market. Um, so that's you, when the creative. Yeah, you said in this article that you know people are always screaming about um, the poor the quality China. in China. It's all crap. But nobody's over there training them, teaching them nope. to the standards, which is kind of what you saw as the opportunity. Everyone else saw it as oh, the reason not to do it. Yep. And at, like most entrepreneurs, you go, oh, this is the hard. And I'm going to lean into it, attack the hard thing, yep. which is to teach them. Yep. And that's been the basis of Lux's success. 100%. You know. it's, so with those thousand products from, you know, as you first kicked off, sold the, the shitty products, as you said, and then started restocking with better quality products that were more um, selected for best, you know, best use case. Um, were you selling, I know Lux is, is more so B2B now, but was it, did you like to do an online e-com? You know, did you have a thousand SKUs online? Were you running traffic? Talk us through that bit before you got the evolution of where Luxus is today. Sure. Yeah, no, it was, was trying to be everything to everyone. Right. Um, so, yeah, trying to set up e-commerce, sell to trade, sell to guys like Eric on the weekend that was kicking around looking for some cheap stuff. Um, <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, I was trying to do it all. I was trying to cover it all, um, train people to, to sell to stores, sell to um, um, consumer market. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> I, I learned a lot in that first few so years. So what, what were some of the items that, like, how broad were you going here? Was it just anything that goes in a house or what? Yeah. Because yeah, a thousand's it, a lot. Was it a thousand different products or was it like 110 different colours? No, no. It was a thousand different products. You like should have like, seen his warehouse. Oh, really? Yeah. There was everything. Everything. Plumbing so. fixtures, LED lights, glass balustrading, spigots, rail, like you just... Artificial grass, flooring, yeah. tiles. Um, yeah, you so name it. What was the moment that you just went, fuck this, this is the wrong plan? Time to change. I know the exact moment, um, and that was sitting through a program, um, and that program um, has changed names over the years, but um, it's called uh, ProTrade United now. It's um, it's a program where I sat down um, month to month and work on the business, you know, and that whole concept was quite foreign to me at the time because I'm like, I don't need to work on it. I need to work in it. You know, I need to roll my sleeves up. I'm a hard worker. I'm just going to keep working in it, and um, they're the ones that taught me to um and that's it's only been 10 years so like i said that first three four years in business i was doing all these crazy things and to be honest i was going pretty close to going bankrupt again i was turning over quite a few million dollars but not making much money and um that's when i started with pro trade united and um they sat through and one of the mentors said right what's your top 10 products what's your most profitable you know what's unique to the market and all these questions i've never been asked before you know, i never asked myself um, so we listed them out and said, right, what would it look like if you spent more time working on these, these 10? I worry about the 1,000. So I, I met him halfway, culled it down to about 150 lines, um, still wanting to chase it. Then I, uh, I, within 12 months, I'd culled all retail traffic, shut the e-com, you know, and just went brick and mortar, B2B business. How did that make you feel when you had to actually, you know, take 1,000 products and cull it down to 150? Because, I mean, it's not easy to get rid of things, you know? lighter personally when i look back on it but scarier i'm like i'm hedging all my bets i'm putting it all into one thing that's not that wasn't me that's I, not what I, you used to do right because you're always doing multiple things on always multiple doing multiple products. things and yeah. and i had to look busy right i had to look busy because i was doing this and i had this guy on the go and I had this running and you know i was just constantly forever trying to prove that worth was that ego yeah ego was still driving it where, where did it come from i don't know i, I I think the ego part for me was thinking I knew it all. 
you know, and I could do it. And, um, and I, as soon as the ego, you know, the ego mind started calming down and, and I started looking a, a bit further beyond past what I could see in front of me, um, that's when I realized that, you know, there was, there was power there, you know, there was deeper relationships that I was creating. Um, there was, you know, another way of doing things. It wasn't just so black and white. Um, and yeah, I, I guess it, the, the more that I've sort of put away the, the ego mindset or that driver, um, which is hard in business, you think you've got you've to be um, egotistic, um, but you don't. So that's sort of when I went into the back shadows and went, right, I'm not going to drive this business from the front. I'm just going to do it from the back, um, behind the scenes. If people don't like this good product that I've put together, then so be it. You know, obviously I failed. And this this um, site um, or business that went down to 150 SKUs, that's yep. pre-Luxus, right? That it wasn't called Luxus then. That was Rem, re, there's reminiscence of it, but right. um, it wasn't it wasn't um, just Luxus. Gotcha. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it, it, that thousand products was probably a vanity metric in some ways. Being able to say to people, right, yeah. I got a thousand products, and it makes you sound big, right? But at the end of the day. Um, it's results that we're after, right? And yeah. there's, there's a terrific book called uh, Built to Sell by John Warlow. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those who haven't read it, uh, this is a book about a graphic design company and he's doing websites, he's doing logos, he's doing flying, fly, and, and he uses it as an example. And he says to the guy, what are you great at? He says, I'm great at logos. That's my superpower. And he said, all right, we're going to stop every other service and just become great at logos and we're going to increase the price and we're going to do this and that. And they ended up creating this logo business that they sold for millions of dollars. And it's just this story about exactly what you've said um, about becoming outstanding at something, finding the, 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 the thing. And, it's, and the other thing I, I really picked up there, and I think a lot of people listening to this, um, they need to be aware of their own uh, biases. And sometimes you can pride yourself on something that's imprisoning you. Mm-hmm. And so as a tradesman, you are so proud of the fact that you're hardworking and I remember mentoring somebody years ago and he said, Adam, you wouldn't know a hard day's work if it hit you in the face. And I said, you wouldn't know a smart day's work if it hit you in the face. And he sat there and went, oh, shit. I said, your problem is you've got a tradie mentality and you value hard work above smart work. And I said, There's, you need to have both. Like, I'm not saying don't work hard. Everybody's working hard. But you were, you were like, I've got to work hard. But not so hard that you don't have time to learn because without the learning, like this Trade United, did you say? Pro Trade United, it's yeah. called, yeah. Sounds like a great organisation. 100%, yeah. And, and those questions, having that outside perspective, I mean, mm. it's amazing that we're allowed to register a business without actually having to pass some of those basic questions. Yeah. Eric? What are some of the financial habits that you've implemented now since that, that first failure and almost a second failure? Yeah, it's the numbers part. Yeah, the biggest thing and um, my, yeah, my quote through my journey for nearly 10 years through ProTrade has been know your numbers, mm-hmm. you know, and if you don't know your numbers, then you know, essentially you're driving blind, yeah. you know, and the analogy I've always used is, you know, would you take a car out on the road and out onto the highway without knowing how much cash is left, um, how fast you're going, where you're heading to, you know, like it's blind and it'd be scary. Yeah, you so know. it's like it's like going to a destination, you know, driving through a blizzard and you yep. can't see, but you just keep on driving. You just keep driving. And this is what I tell everybody that like I've mentored and coached over the years is like you have to know your numbers, mm-hmm. right? And it's amazing how many people have no idea about numbers. I had a, a question from a student uh, the other day going, "Oh, I see that you follow this person. 
um, have you done their course? I said, no, I just, I just follow them. But I'm like, what else are you looking for? Like, why are you looking for something else? And then uh, they're like, yeah, it's probably just going to be more noise, more distraction. And, and then I asked, do you understand how to read, uh, read financial statements properly? Mm. You know, and they were like, you know, not, not really. I'm like, that's where you need to start. That's where you need to start. And you know what? If you go on YouTube, it's all free. It's just you not know, sexy, Eric. That's uh, it's not. It's not. It's not sexy. But the excuse is, oh, I'm not good at that. Nah. Well, and if you're good at making logos and you're good at making something else and you're not good at your numbers and you're not going to commit to know your numbers, go work for someone else. Because at some point, you'll probably be in the same position you were, right? On on your ass, bankrupt, and that's not a good. That's not a good feeling, right? Nah. So yeah, it's. I I love this part because. You know, that, that financial intelligence is everything. And it's not that difficult once you put, put your mind to it to understand the profit loss, the balance sheet. It's, like, and again, it's, it's just, just it, another I, language, right? I, I when you understand it on my it. course. I, re- I read the Kiyosaki book and he said, if you don't speak the language of business, which is how a cash flow statement works, balance sheet works, then you're not in business. Like, no. get, get out. You're going to hurt yeah. yourself and other people. Yeah. And, I, and I went online and I bought a course. I said it in a recent podcast. I was not too proud to go and spend the $97 or whatever it was on Udemy. Yeah. Yep. Bought a couple of them until I fully understood what a P&L was, <laughs> how a cash flow statement works. That's where so many people get into trouble. They get into trouble with the ATO. They get into trouble with not understanding their liabilities. Yep. I lost my first bit of money like i said to people i was i made my first million by the time i was 23 and i lost it by 25 i didn't lose it i know exactly where it went well, yeah. <laughs> and, and but tax would have been lovely to know about and don't rely on your accountants right <laughs> no don't rely you know, on your accountants. like i've seen that many pnls as of late that are incorrect yes. with the incorrect items on a pnl that be that should be sitting on a balance sheet as an example right so just because they give you the paperwork and it's done don't rely on that. You need to know your numbers yourself so that way you can question the accountant. We had a client who's recently had all of their cost of goods sold in their COGS against their revenue for their entire container. And we're like, hang on, this, and they, oh, I'm losing all this money. I'm like, those COGS there, how are those COGS against those sales? I go, no, that's the whole container. I'm like, no wonder you're freaking losing money because you're sold. accounting for the whole container against the... It's just like basic stuff like that. Mm. And um, it's just, you're not taught. You say in Australia, you just go and register a company with ASIC and you're off the directors. And, yeah. and so with the ProTrade United, that was yep. then, uh, do you still um, continue the mentorship with them? Or, yeah, absolutely. So um, now I sit on their mentor program. Um, oh, so right. I'm mentoring some of the new people coming through. Um, I'm yeah, technically one of their, their uh, better students that have come through the program. Um, so yeah, I, I guess what I, why I'm still invested in the value of that business is that it's teaching the trade. You know, we talk about trade or construction um, contractors. They don't, they don't know how to run a business. You know, like I said, it's easy just to roll up in your van at the registry's office and uh, open up an account and start um, and start business. But that's Good. that's not what it's all about. No. So, so giving back there for what you've learned, which is great. Absolutely. And since you've uh, picked, a little bit like my story, I've really picked, picked up a book since I was uh, made to in, in primary school or whatever. But after the Kiyosaki book, you've done the pro trade now. What else are you doing as far as filling the, the head with the, the good stuff? Um, it, it's just regiment now, the you know, the rhythm for working on the business. Um, so, you know, sitting on different mentor programs. Um, so, mentor programs through ProTrade United, also as um, part participant still through that, um, working on the business, um, sitting on other boards to, um, you know, keep their the brain fresh in other businesses that are similar size, um, having those challenges that they're working on. Um, and, yeah, continuing to... I know deeper stuff now, from meditation to yeah. um, still reading books to um, 
not really ice bath just yet. But Let, let's get we'll, in, we'll get into that stuff a little <laughs> yeah, bit later. What, sure. what I want to do is get us back on track with yep. the story. So sure. you've gone, you've gone, um, you've gone from being bankrupt. You've mm-hmm. you've gone and sold your mate's stuff, raised some cash. Yep. How much cash did you raise from that exercise? I just want to get some metrics around this and really get into the the granular of how you climbed from bankrupt to 20 million a year and talk a little bit about the funding path. How did you fund it? Was it just from growth? But let's talk about, you sold this stuff, how much cash did that get you? And then what did you do with that cash? And and how did you, let, let's go a little bit step-by-step step through that. Yeah, so we had um, so many different um, things on the go at the time. So from construction to projects to, um, you know, individual trips. So a lot of stuff was sourced just for ourselves just to put into the projects. So you were developing still yeah, at this time? Yeah, yeah. Or sorry, my partner was developing. Townhouses um, kind of stuff or? Yeah, upmarket, upmarket houses through Broad Beach. Okay, so yep. upmarket houses through Broad Beach. So this yep. is your business partner. You're helping him develop those. Yeah. And you're buying this stuff from China and putting it into your own projects yep. and then selling it Correct. as a side business as Correct. well. So yep. that's really interesting that you're actually in the trade, you're understanding the problems, right? And yep. this is important to, yep. for people to understand. You are very close to the reality of these products in the real world. Yeah. Okay, so you're doing the projects, you're compounding the money out of that. Yep. And is Lox's yours or have you got a business partner in it? Uh, it's like a part, yeah, partnership in the Australian side, yeah. Yeah, great, okay. Yep. So you, the, the, the two of you are doing this stuff and then, then you're developing these products and selling it. You got to a thousand SKUs. So this is just compounding money, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So you're compounding this capital. How much did you raise from selling that stuff at ballpark? Are we talking 10 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand? Oh, a few hundred. Yeah. A few hundred grand. Yeah, a few hundred grand. Because okay. um, each container at the time, you know, we're probably doing three or four containers um, coming in each month. Um, that would have anywhere value from, you know, 20, 30 grand each. Okay. Um, so. Okay, yeah. so the relationship's super important here, right? Like it's, yeah, you've it got this all... great trusting relationship with somebody that believed in you and helped, yeah. which is wonderful. Yeah. So the containers are coming in. And so then you get to this point where you peak at 1,000, you get intervention from this coaching. <laughs> and then how long did it take you to get from this 1,000 to 150 and then 150 down to, you know what, screw it, we're going all in on what was that journey on the, on the Lox's greats? So that was only eight years ago. So eight years ago, that's when I rebranded to Lux's Greats. Um, and that was wholly and solely in Just Greats. So um, prior to that, for the first six years, um, I said that first three years was all a different combination. Um, then I scaled it down to 150. That lasted for about you know, a couple of years. Um, so about that six year mark in, six years in, I'd, I was, that was the tipping point. It was like, we're only selling great. And what, what made you go all in on the greats? Just, just the f- numbers, you know, the, and gut feeling, knowing that there was still nothing else there like it. There was nothing around that was anything similar. It wasn't servicing the market the way it should. Um, and it was, yeah, it was making at this stage 80% of my revenue. So it was like, let's make it 100% of our revenue. So it was one of the products. One of. Interesting. Yeah. So bankrupt 2008, 2010, yep. you started the rebuild. Yep. And then six years, so 2016 of just figuring out. So I want people to really hear that, right? Like, don't miss that <laughs> because it's, e- it's easy looking at Tim today going, oh, this dude's done 20 million. This dude was bankrupt in 2008. Two years of licking his wounds and recovering and going through the shit. I, I very similar to him. I, I was down to my last four thousand dollars in 2008 i almost went bankrupt i was right on the edge it took me two years just to dig myself out of the hole and have enough confidence to put my face out there again and then it was six years from that point 
of reserving the apprenticeship before you found the winning product. Everybody listening at home needs to hear that because it is not an easier path than a six-year college education or university degree. It's just a different path and with a lot more... um, Pain. I'll just say pain. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say something yeah. else there, but you yeah. can fill in the blanks of what was I saying. So yeah, so it took you six years, and then you finally got to write. I found this product six years later, and then you went, and we're going to create a separate company here just on these vertical uh, draining systems. Yeah. So yeah, given that you know, I reassessed every product, you know what what sort of volume we're selling, what were people engaged with, and I remember taking that product um, oh, ten years ago. I, I went door knocking, you know, and I took this, you know, I took this little piece of um, piece of or sample of it, and um, knocked on the hundred doors, and you know, ninety seven of uh, ninety seven of them went, nah, mate, no thanks, get out. Um, and I thought, oh, that's strange, you know, because I thought it was a pretty good product. So me being the face, going out there and asking for this, the business, essentially didn't work. And that's why I come back and went, oh, I'll make something else. I'll make something else. So I continue to make other products. Um, thinking that the market or the people I was talking to, it wasn't resonating with them. Even though I knew it was okay, it was ser- certainly served a, pro- um, a purpose and it f- solved a problem that was in the market. Um, so I had a few friends that were still using it, but they, um, they yeah, just didn't have that that impact at the time when I was when I was reaching out to market. Hence why I kept scattering around trying to make more products. Oh, I'll make something else. I'll do a tap. That'll be better. And that spigot will be better. And that bit of glass and you know, become more priced orientated more so than unique. Um, and so from more books and more ed, um, mentoring, it was, you know, look for the unique lines, things that have got a bit more margin, um, that's a bit more unique to me. Um, so yeah, that, that, like I said, that apprenticeship in that six years was finding feet. Find, there's heaps of failures in that, heaps of product I spent lots of money on. It's that, never it's that product money. where people go, oh shit, I haven't seen that before. Is that what you're saying? That immediate, like... Yeah, and that was the unique side. I thought it had that unique value at the start. I just didn't give it the time because my entrepreneurial ADD was like, oh, spoke to two people. No, nah, they didn't want it. Yeah, it just and needed it, a bit more time in the market. It did need a bit more and time. how much time would, did that take before you turned from three out of 100 to more than that? Oh, at least eight years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, yeah so, real time. Yeah. Yeah. Real time. It, and it took, like I said, and then even at that six year mark, or even at the rebrand, at the rebrand eight years ago, um, which it was just Lux's greats, at that particular point, I had 24 wholesalers mm. and only selling three quarters of a million of And how many product. wholesalers today? Over 2,000. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I want to ask one more question here. For the people sitting there listening, a young builder, a young tradie who wants to get out of being on the tools and wants to know how to transition to being mm. a product owner like this, mm. you said you went knocking on doors. <laughs> what does that actually mean? You mean you turned up to work sites cold, you picked up the phone and set an appointment. Actually, what did you do? Well, that decision making of wanting to, to do business with um, other businesses, you know, um, I didn't know what that looked like. Um, and rather than send someone else, I, I did it myself. So I got an appointment setter. I had someone make phone call for me and say, hey, the boss is coming. He's going to introduce you to a product. So that appointment setter was just cold, you know, cold calling every single plumbing store, hardware store, and tiling store in the whole, whole country. So okay. in that first few years, I knocked on every single door in this country, every single um, tiling store, every single plumbing store, and every single hardware store. So they literally would make an appointment over the phone yep. to make sure the person would be there in store. Yeah. And, and that's I'd, how you I'd do it. And I'd turn up and I'd show them a product. And my, like I said, at the start, the majority of them said, 
No thanks. Why Are they you? open to that? Like, is that how the, it works in that business? You, you cold call and you just make an appointment? I didn't know any other way yeah. at the time. I had no idea how people do it. And, and it worked, obviously. Well, at the start, it didn't. <laughs> it was persistency. So persistent and consistent, you know, and understanding what those real problems or needs were from those stores. Oh, I've got no one to, I've got no one to buy this. No one wants to buy this. And then you've got, then you've got other, that's the point about differentiation. It's like what makes your grate so special exactly. to the other grates? And you, I'm assuming even to get more granular and not, what's the knock in the door look like? What was the pitch? I mean, yeah. a grate's a grate, isn't it? Yeah. Until you put them side by side yeah. and then convert them into, hey, and then they've got to convert their a tradies into using your product as well. So you've got to get Correct. them to sell your idea as well. So it's a two-part sale, right? 100%. And that, yeah that's, yeah, that's what we learned in the early stages, like not just um, convincing the customer to purchase it, mm. which our customers is a, a toll-based business or a plumbing-based business. Um, it was converting the trade, educating the market. Mm. So I'm like, oh, I've got to educate the market as well. These, these realizations or these um, light bulb moments through the journey is like, okay, how do I educate the market? Mm. So we started educating the market through you know, the different channels that everyone's educating people with, um, giving, them, giving them samples to give out to their customers. Because it's know. different, like what, what was in the market was like drain that's a yes. circle. Yeah, circle and yours, drain. you've got this long um, yeah. type. So setup. from a centre waste, um, which is quite traditional, everyone's used to seeing a round or a little square um, waste in the centre of their bathroom or around um, outside areas, um, or the, the gap between that and something that was in uh, made of uh, traditional stainless steel, um, which you'd have to mortgage the house to put, purchase one to put one in. Um, that's where the gap, we found that gap. The gap is Annadale's aluminium. Um, it's a hell of a lot more affordable material. And it's uh, flush with the floor, right, is what you're saying? Yeah, it's flush yeah. with the floor, easy to cut and easy to fall your tiles to the, to the drain. Um, so in this article I read, it said here that you were doing 132-hour weeks at one stage. You worked seven days a week. Your diet was appalling. I was living off baked beans and eight cans of V energy drink per day. Yep. That's insane. Yeah. That's, and that's, yeah, it's amazing. I've had friends go through similar and, and sometimes they don't bounce back so well from that. But um, that's real work. A, lot, a real work, yeah. Not just on the business, um, with myself, yeah. um, with my relationships, with my family, um, with my kids. You did know, you have to make deals with your family? Like, how did you hold your family together through that? Because that's, you got three kids, right? Yeah. How, how did that, was that challenging? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, real challenging. Um, Ugh. Um, I, I miss some, yeah. I miss some vital, vital things in their life. You know, I wasn't around because I was travelling. I was working hard, doing 130 hours. You don't really have much time to, to spend with other people. Um, so you know, finding that real balance now in, you know, that entrepreneurial ADD that I've got. You know, to make sure that I go really fast, um, but being mindful at the same time. Being mindful of what I can do. Um, what can what a, a week looks like. You know, setting a new regime, new rhythm. Um, because I don't want to miss out on those those fun things that the, I do with my kids now. I don't want to miss out on, you know, some partner time, and I don't want to miss out on the cool things that are happening within business as well. So yeah, it's 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 been a it's still a work in progress. Yeah. You know, I don't think we ever stop. Um, it's just finding what's right for me. You know, what balance I need. You love a challenge. I love a challenge. I rise to any challenge. Tell me about some of these challenges, like Tough Mudder and True Grit and the Q1 Stair Challenge. Why? Just, just to say I've done it. Just to say that, that you can, you know, just pushing the body a little bit further. I've pushed my mind, you know, with, with, and I've really exercised. Oh, hang on, I, was, I wasn't that good at school. I dropped out of school so I could just work with my hands. Um, and working with my hands, yeah, I'm good at, but hang on a minute, I, that, was, that was a failed business attempt. 
Um, and then as I've learnt through business, I'm like exercising the mind, constantly exercising the mind of reading books and audios and really understanding more about business than I ever knew before. Um, the body was deteriorating very, very quickly. Uh, I just wasn't looking after it. Um, and that's the fuel, right? If I'm not fueling it properly. And um, you may know the, uh, a guy called Nam Baldwin. He, um, he's a, he works with Mick Fanning. Um, he's a, a breathe coach and, um, and a holistic health coach. Um, I listened to him for about two and a half hours. Um, I was there with my wife, um, listened to him, and he was the one that said, you know, not to fuel the body with, you know, the garbage, you know, fuel the body with the right source as you wouldn't put diesel in a petrol car, you know, um, and that really hit me. And that's when I started stepping up to some of these challenges. I'm like, all right, and see how, what, how far I can push my body. Um, so yeah, stair climb, you know, oh, I did it by, oh, yeah, pretty much did it by myself for the first year. Now I've got an army of 20 people following me. Yeah. Wanting to do it. How many stairs on that stair climb at Q1? Just so everyone knows, Q1's, I think, still the tallest residential Resident. building. Yep, it's in the background there. The, yeah, <laughs> on, the, on the Gold Coast. How many yep. stairs? You know? um, it's 90, uh, sorry, 79 flights. 79 flights of stairs. Yep. And yep. last time I seen you did it with your son. Yeah, so... That was um, awesome. Yeah, I faked his age. <laughs> it got him in there. He was keen. He was training with me. Um, so we got down to Crumber and trained down on a set of stairs down there. Um, he come with me. wanted to do it. And I said, all right, mate, I'll um, get you in. So he did it. He um, smoked me up there. And um, now I'm just tripping him up as he tries to go up each year. But, um, <laughs> yeah, he did really well. And now it's a thing. You know, like I said, we've got 24 of us last year that did it. So now you've got um, some healthy routines in there as well. Yeah. Just so just, just pushing the body a little bit further than what I was doing just in mind. It was um, physical. Let, let's jump back into the story because sure. there's so much gold here. And I really want to I really want to make sure we don't lose the business story here because yeah. I know if I was sitting there, because I remember I, I, uh, when I was just coming back from being bound, I, was, I set a goal to build an eight-figure business. Mm. At the time, it was like I'd never done it before. And I went to a camp in New York, like a training thing. And uh, one of the things they made us do was their, their solution to this problem was write down on a piece of paper what you'd love to get out of this weekend and throw it, make it an aeroplane, throw it into the crowd. And I said, I want to learn to build an eight-figure thing, put my name on there. And three people came up to me as a result of that plane being passed around and helped me out. I was just desperate to know how do you do it. So I want to get into mm -hmm. that a little bit more. So you've gone all in. You've got one product now. This looks as great. Um, you had a handful of distributors and they got over 2,000. How did that actually happen? What were the activities that helped? What were the milestones or the big turning points that actually made that happen? What attracted new distributors? What were the driving things that grew the business? One of the core, core things that, that brought that transaction about, you know, not working e-commerce, not having online, not selling to online stores, just selling to, you know, um, business, you know, tradies, tradies contractors coming to these stores every day to grab their gear, grab their stuff and go on their way. You know, they, they pretty much grabbing stuff daily, you know, to, to go and work on projects and jobs. So how do I engage with them? You know, so it's that engaging process of um, what we call our engagement is making sure we line the people up that have that need um, with the actual store themselves. Because a lot, when we're, if we've spoken to them um, through the different types of channels that we reach out to them, um, they want to buy from us. It's like, no, no, we manufacture it, we make it. These guys will sell it to you. So can you explain that business model a little bit for the people that don't yep. know that are listening? So yep. difference between wholesale distribution and the question that I have once you explain that is, why did you choose that model versus going direct? It's, it's, it's handling everything. So I, I felt like, how was I going to, 
you know, if I'm running e-commerce, I'm running um, uh, the, the store itself, then I've got to have locations and then I've got to have stock. Then I've, I'm manufacturing it, I'm R&Ding it, I'm developing it. Like um, I've got my own, um, my own factories now set up just purposely making this product every day. Um, they don't make anything for, for anyone. It's just my product. Is it made here or are these the factories? You got? To, I, I read that you have a factories so, in China and so, Taiwan. So I have two factories in China and one in Taiwan now, yeah. 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 And they just make great. Just make great. That's it. For you, for uh, just for simplicity for the listeners as well, is it um, you just sell purely the, the lineal media to the retail trade outlets? There's no custom, there's no nothing. That's for the uh, for the uh, trader to then uh, manufacture. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. So from that um, unique proposition, not only is the product unique, I approached um, tiling stores and plumbing stores to say, hey, I sell it to you in 18 foot, which is 5.6 meter long. Great. I manufactured this, I've engineered it, I've certified it, I'll sell it to you. All you gotta do is cut it up as a, as a customer or trade comes through and wants to at, at a certain length. And they're like, oh, I, don't, I can't cut this up. I'm like, what if I give you a drop saw to cut it up? Will you sell it? Yeah. So that was one of my first round trips and door knocking. I literally drove down to Sydney Tools, bought a, bought a drop saw, dropped it back on the counter and said, here's your drop saw. Do you wanna order some? And of course, I walked away with an order and I replicated that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And now we bring in 40 foot containers of drop saws, all logoed, branded, and I give them out to See, these this stores. Is, this is the so detail, that. right? This is the, this is the stuff that I want. To, yeah. Like, I want more of that. Like, yeah, that's yeah. purple cow. Yeah, what, purple, yeah. what dude turns up with a drop saw? <laughs> It says, hey, you want a drop saw? You just got to sell my grades. <laughs> but now it's a systemized thing too. The whole thing's yeah. into when it's like it's a system. You get my saw, you get my linear media, you get the training right. package, you get the whole yeah. shebang. So yeah. once once they're in, they're sticky. They're, they're probably going to stay with your great system versus someone's coming through now thinking, oh, this is a great uh, business to get in and model it, but they can't. You've got your moat. Correct. Hyperlogical. There's the problem. I don't cut stuff. Well, what if I give you a drop saw? I like you. Yeah. It's, it's a problem. You know, a mentor of mine um, just said to me, where there's a problem, there's profit. Hmm. Okay, and I, and I keep looking for those problems, you know, whether it's in the grade itself, um, because the variations of the product now of the problems that I never thought would arise in a project. And they're, they're, we just keep eliminating them one at a time. So, what the, tra so the tradie comes in, yep. they order it, they chop it, they yep. just buy it, buy the and meter. Off, and off, yeah, and off it goes. They just pick the color or the yeah, style. Correct. And um, yeah, that's incredible. I was just going to say, like, what a great idea. Hey? No, I like. I know you like your puns. I love me puns. Uh, He's got some great right, puns. Yeah. God, that's such a dad Oh, my God. You didn't even get it. I don't know. It's that bad. Oh, it's, it's that bad. It's all right. Well, I, I sell toilets, mate. The puns do not stop. So here you are. You're selling, yep. again, and it's not a sexy product, right? No. Like, it's a great. Yeah. It's, a, it's a water great. But every house has several greats, right? Yes. And you've just gone deep on a better solution. So you've gone around, you've, you've, you've spent all this time focusing on this one problem. Yep. And, uh, and now you, you, you've expanded by just hard work, really. This, it's just door knocking, talking to people. And yep. then I guess the momentum builds, the, the, the word spreads through the tradies. The customers ultimately love the product in their house. Yeah, it, it, um, it's not instant gratification. That's for sure. Um, and so like e-com, you know, you can wait, you know, load products in, um, you get that instant gratification. Oh, geez, heaps of people have bought it. Um, with, this, with this business, it really does take, you know, if not three to four months after the initial traction. So um, what I didn't realize at the start is I was spending three or four months doing something, realizing I wasn't getting much business or getting the traction I wanted, I'd go on, on to the next product. 
I wasn't giving it the time. So that's a big um, key lesson for me is now I, I stuck it out, that persistency and consistency now provides the value in this business. Let me ask you a question about China and Taiwan. Yep. So are you, um, did you find a manufacturer of similar products over there and then have they created a sort of a division within their business that's yours or have you actually set up a factory in those places? So in the... <laughs> I've got plenty of stories for you, Adam. Um, Mate, I love <laughs> this stuff. I've got so, I got, you know, so many. In China's, a, you know, I could talk all day about um, my different experiences that I've had. But, you know, in essence, the first company that was making for it in a, in a section of their factory, um, they ran off with all my money. So I lost about 200K um, in a big order. Um, so I had a real frantic phone call um, from one of the um, ladies that worked at the store. Um, and she stressed to me that, um, Mr. Dawson, there's, there's a problem. So I got on the first plane, we got over there and um, realized that, yeah, the, the previous owner of that factory, everyone's got horror stories of China, but this was my horror story. Um, and they'd weld the shop up and they were gone. So everything was gone. My orders weren't coming. I'd had 150 odd different businesses purchasing off me. Um, I had to do something pretty quick. So yeah, I literally drove around the streets um, in one of the little um, blue trucks. If you've ever been to China, you've seen the little blue trucks, mm. picking up machinery and sorting things out to, to get a, a factory set up. So we set our own factory up and started doing all the material, you know, punching, drilling, like lasering, colouring, everything we had to do. to. So, um, so hang on, where, whereabouts in China was this? This is about 45 minutes outside of Forsan. Out of Forsan. Forsan. Yep. So you're in Forsan. <laughs> Right, this white dude <laughs> running around doing what? Like buying shit from buying shit. Do they Teaching even them. speak Teaching. English? No. How not do, at all. Like, is, is a big yeah, game. This is an unreal. <laughs> and story. someone's taken two hundred grand off you. So you're two hundred yeah. grand. They know you've probably been robbed, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that mo motivation for the the young girl. So she still continues to work for us to this day. So she's so um, she's translating. Yeah, she's translating. So her broke. Um, well, she's quite young at the time as well. So she's translating. My partner can translate. So he he's able to translate um, some of the conversation. And you know, we just it was scary. So you're in I, a ho so you're in a hotel having your morning breakfast. Mm. You go out the next day mm. with this girl. Everyone mm. knows she's been robbed. And you say like, I want to set up a factory here yep. in this foreign country. Yep. As she goes and finds a space, yep. finds some people, and you start buying all the stuff you need, yep. literally set up a factory in China. Yep. Yeah. And you still have it to this day. Absolutely. So how did you... Have, well, what about, now we employ you know, pretty much the whole village. <laughs> Is you know, that right? It's all, it's all, they, you know, they keep it close-knit with the family, so the extended family. So um, just before COVID, um, I went over and I sat there with them and you know, they invited all their relatives and everything like that. I think we booked out a restaurant um, because, you know, just to show the gratitude and things. And that was that a light bulb moment for me is the impact that I've made on mm. a small village um, that manufactures, you know, some of the best quality product in the world. How many yeah. people are in there? Uh, at any one stage, um, we could have 40, 40 in that one factory. Um, but yeah, on the core, core staff is about 15. How, how developed an area is it? Is it kind of like third worldy or? Yeah, yeah. pretty primitive, yeah. Pretty wow. primitive. Yeah, yeah. And through COVID was the interesting one um, is we had uh, hundreds of people in the village lining up um, at the front of our factory wanting to know what the hell we're doing, why we're still moving, why we're still making product or because it was selling. So I need it. Um, and most people weren't getting containers out of China, but um, we're still making it. I said, don't stop. Don't stop. Just keep making it until it hits the roof. When it hits the roof, start bu building another pile. And they're like, yes, sir. 
yes, Mr. Dawson, we'll, we'll, we'll do this. And so it's just keeping communication with them because they were scared. They were scared at that time. Just out of interest, like mm. how big a space is it in China, roughly? Not, uh, say 3,000 square feet. Okay. Yeah. What's that in square meters? 1,000. 1,000 square meters? Yeah. No, oh, yeah. You're, you're obviously... Uh, you're, 500. 500. You're... Uh, Three, Math obviously three, isn't three your strong to, point, eh? Three feet to a meter, right? No, no, you divide it no, by nine, about nine. Nine, oh, right? Good nine. But it's yeah, all right, James. Nine square feet. Yeah, yeah. I need, and I only just noticed it's set up in America. So. I'm just fascinated because this is a kind. I mean, this is a Netflix documentary in my head. Like, honestly, this really is. Like, people Nobody complain talks about this shit. This is actually real shit. This Aussie white dude over there setting up, you know, a, a, a manufacturing plant in the middle of nowhere in China. Yeah. What, People, what are the rents for something like that, just out of interest? Uh, at the time, um, we were paying, I think it was like $3 a square metre. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but because, the uncle, because the uncle owns the, um, the building and then we just expanded. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, like I said, it's all just family. This is an epic story. And Taiwan, what happened there? So, well... The reason for Taiwan, so we started shipping in um, the, the raw product into Australia. So I started doing the new colours in Australia under, the, under a company here in Australia, um, which was giving us the 25-year guarantee um, on the UV stabilisation. So you can now use this product because everyone's got inventive with it. They're now using outside. So across balconies, um, there's a huge need for the product around pool areas. Um, I don't want the colour to discolour. So that's why we now offer a 25-year discoloration um, warranty on it. No, it stands up against the Australian UV because Australia has some of the highest UV in the world and, um, and, and it tarnishes and damages products. So doing that, I work with this company here in Australia. Taiwan was to support that and back up so I can support that product right around the world. I can't just keep bringing everything to here and then farming it out from Australia to the rest of the world. So that's what the, um, the reason for setting up over there. Now I've got UV stable product going right around the world. Have you got photos of the crew in China, like in front of the factory in there? Yeah, I've got a few. I'd yeah. love to, if you've got them, <laughs> I'd love you to send them to us afterwards so we can throw them up. And Greg, if we have got them, let's throw them on the screen because I'd love to see that story. And the same with Taiwan because people see a guy like you and they don't understand like the mm. level of hustle. Like that yeah. is just, well, so also, how many people in Taiwan? So at the moment, there's only uh, 10 that work in that factory. Yeah. Um, so they're doing a bits and pieces of everything at the moment just to, you know, just to get things moving. And um, is that your factory again or is that just in... Inside? Yeah, it's like a JV. A JV. A JV. Yeah, just yeah. set up just for us. Though. Yeah, yeah they don't make other stuff. Everyone, everyone else, you know, talks shit and bullshit is going, yeah, I have my factory. I own my factory in China. I run my own factory in China, right, when nobody yeah, really yeah, does. But, like, this is legit, yeah. you know, running his own factory. Like, people complain here. Oh, I got to go and find a lease and set up. And, oh, it's just too hard. Like, this guy's in the middle of China and also, doing this. Dude, like, you, remind of, you remind me of American gangster, you know, when the, the uh, Denzel Washington jumped in the boats to get his heroin direct from the suppliers <laughs> in the middle of the jungle. Well, and that's how he made his money. And it's yeah. a great story. It's what you're doing. Yeah, well, no one's going to do it for us, right? So no one was going to set it up. Who's interested in doing that? And at the first, it was trying to... Well, Taiwan is a little bit different. They could see the value in what we're offering. Um, so that's only been open for the last 18 months. Um, but the Taiwan, fa uh, the China's, Chinese factory, they didn't know what we're going to do. 
like I said, in COVID, they're like, oh, we're shut down. Let's go look for other jobs. No, no, no. Stop. And, just. And so with that, then you go back to that um, when you got 200 grand uh, robbed and whatnot, yep. you're in China on the ground and you've got 150 suppliers waiting for product. What was the time frame from you to out there with your interpreter uh, putting this thing together to get actual uh, container off on the water? <laughs> like, because you've got, and the phone calls you've got with 150 suppliers trying to keep them going. You're in the middle go- of fucking bumfuck. Yeah, you probably don't have any mobile connection as well. <laughs> and you're trying to put together a factory. So well, how, how long did it take from start to get a container on the water? Jesus. So after two weeks, I'd had a... <laughs> yeah, well, that's incredible. I know you guys laugh. I'm going to call this kangaroo Tim from <laughs> now on. This kangaroo <laughs> Tim, because this fucking two guy, weeks. two weeks. And it nearly cost me my marriage because I, I spent so much time there and I was trying to... I, I need to get it done. Yeah. You know, and I, I needed to do this because I got commitment. Um, and one of the companies now, which is um, certainly one of our biggest wholesalers of our product in Australia, they, um, you know, they, the pressure was on. Like, I need the product. I, I explained to them like, what had happened and, you know, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Um, so from me landing there, 10 weeks later, I had products. So I fast vesseled um, a 20 foot um, and it landed just before um, Christmas. So wow. just, just before Christmas, we got it all sorted. Um, they were able to fulfill all their orders. Um, but we've had bigger challenges than that because, you know, with containers and, and um, stocking and all sorts of stuff. But, um, yeah, I got it, I got it there 10 you weeks later. You might have had some other challenges with containers and whatnot, but that's yep. a pretty uh, wild, unique story. I don't think anyone could yep. match that. Uh, yep. So anyone out there that's talked about hustle, that's it. Um, you know, in a foreign country, um, yep. that in a village of all places, and, and pulling that together in 10 weeks is yep. bonkers. Well, even when it was ready to load and pack, I remembering my travel agent and saying, hey, can you book me a flight? I'm going there Saturday, come back Monday. She goes, oh, you're going for dinner? I said, no, no, I'm going physically going over there to check that it's right before it's packed in this container to bring over because I, I need it right. Like I, I, if it, I wait, you know, 10 days or 12 days for it to, sh- um, to vessel over, um, I, I don't have the ability to turn it around or make new stuff or I need to make sure it's right. So I literally flew over to check that order and I'm like, right, we're on. It's, it's exactly how I need it because I've got... We've got quality, right? Like it's not just a, it's not something you can just go and buy off the street. No, you can lose it's, your you can lose your brand in like absolutely. one bad container. Yeah, it's that yeah. important. It's that important to get right. And we're talking point point two of a millimeter of you know from the sizing to the punching to the to the finish of it. Um, it it's I put a lot of pride into this product to make sure it's the best. And for people listening that are beginners here, I want you to understand something as Tim's talking. He sells a shower grate and he's saying it's complex. Some of you guys sitting at home going, I'm going to create the world's next best Esky that's going to have an MP3 Bluetooth player. It's going to be custom molded. It's going to have a special storage compartment and all this. I'm like, dude, this guy's selling shower grates and there's 50 ways to Sunday that you could fuck it up. Yep. Correct? 100%. Don't go complex if you're manufacturing in China like that, a Correct. custom product. It's already complex enough because whatever can go wrong in China, like there's Murphy's Law and then there's China's Law. Yeah. <laughs> it is makes it, Murphy look like a walk be, in the because park. Because you're manufacturing it, as you said, it's your custom design. Is it patentable because it's a grate? Can you patent your specific way or have you patented it? That's a whole other podcast. Got it. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole other podcast. Um, yeah. The way that, yeah, so from design protection to the movement to the IP law to trademarking as well. So, yeah, there's three three key areas where I've had a hell of a lot of experience over the last few years. Um, but, yeah, it's been some really interesting stuff. So, as I said, I've got, you know, from just that itself, um, what it's worth, 
how to do it, when to do it. Um, there's there's a whole podcast in itself. Sure. But um, I've learned a buck load in the last two or three years with how all that works. Well, round two might be really good on China, just mm. China. <laughs> yeah. 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 So when you were there on the ground setting up this new factory, mm-hmm. what people need to remember is you got robbed yeah. of $200,000 yeah. the week before. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah. Now, when you were there, were you nervous at all? Like, yeah. were you thinking like, the, yeah. like guys are thinking you're going to come looking for them? Like, you're in the middle of China, you know, gangs, all this stuff. Were you, did you have any thought of, like, fearful for, well, not the, your life, but... Just so that, that, that factory that got... They literally welded the front gates up. So I, I went with my partner over there and we, we sat down with the landlord and, you know, obviously doesn't speak English. Um, and we said to him, hey, we want to get inside to see if there's any of our reminiscence of our order left. Like, we need to get in there. He's like, no, nope, you're not getting in. And he's like, oh, how do we, you know, how do we, um, how do we get into the factory? And I said, look, I need to get in there. I just need to get, get through. Um, and he's like, no, 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 pay the month's rent. So we went down to the bank, pulled out R&B, and, um, and, and, and took him back this cash. He let us in there. They, um, they gr- grinded the front gates, got in there, and there was nothing left. There was a few, you know, a few bits and pieces. But, yeah, the bulk of the order, which was, like I said, 100 and, it was 140 US. So it was about 200 so or, or 200,000. Did they actually make anything, do you think, or they just took the money and ran? They did, yeah, it was supposed to be shipped. So that's why I got the call. I thought, oh, it's, it's ready to come and yeah, to let me know that it was all over. There was nothing there. So, they, yeah, he, the supposedly the guy that was running that factory had a gambling problem and, um, and yeah, he took off and left. Jeez, they had 150-odd staff at the time in that factory. It was a pretty decent-sized factory. I asked this question to um, someone on the podcast last week. Like, why wouldn't you just quit then and just thought, you know what, like, this is just, this must be I'd, somebody telling me, you know? I've, I guess the, the kick in the guts was still not as big as, or the, you know, as big as what I'd had, you know, like the, I've, I've had bigger kicks and, you know, and that's only one part of the story and, and there's, there's been plenty more along the way. Um, like I said, I've got so many different areas of where I could dive into, you know, whether it's China, whether it's IP law, um, whether it's the Australian standards, um, I've got a whole podcast just on that. Um, there's, it's, it's quite an interesting thing, like I said, and, and from a manufacturing point of all the different touch points to make sure that it's right, the consistency on what we expect, and it's teaching them what, you know, how to create and develop stuff as well. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to discuss. Um, Surviving but, bankruptcy probably put it, a bit of steel in your spine for that stuff. Absolutely. I, I believe so. You know, and, and I like to sit here with you guys and look back and go, oh, okay, well, that was a, you know, it was a tipping point, um, and it was, yeah, it was a size 12 foot up my bum that I probably needed, um, but it gave me some perspective, you know, shifted my mindset um, into what is possible. So yeah, any other challenge that comes along like that, you know, yeah, because at the time I didn't think about the money I just lost. I'm thinking about the money that I haven't got yet. If I wreck that relationship, I can only imagine that one key guy in Australia that was selling a fair bit of our product at the time, letting him down. He's a bloody nice guy. You know, I've built that relationship. I don't want to let him down. I don't want to let my partner down because I, you know, I've, I've he- I'm hedging all my bets on this product. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess it was that protecting some of those relationships. Reputations, everything. And the, yeah. and the reputation of that. Um, yeah, I don't, I didn't want to lose that. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. As I listen to you talk, you know, when I, I get DMs every day from people and they're all like, oh, I've got this product that's amazing. It's going to change the world. And I said, you know, your product's only about 5% of the mm. whole picture. 
Yeah. I said, it's the 95% of shit that you're going to have to go through if you're going to get penetration to any degree. And hearing this story is such a reminder. It's not how good the product is. It's how, how much of a smashing you're prepared to take, take. Yeah. over years. Like yeah. all of us at this table, except Eric Teflon, fucking Eric over here never mm. fails. Yep. But <laughs> we've all had a solid belting in business. And yep. And that's what makes you who you are. And it makes, like I was reading in here, but you're talking about how transparent you are now, how honest you are. In the end, you've been fucked that many times. There's no, there's no good trying to hide it anymore. It's just no, like, no. you know, everybody, uh, there's a, it's a crude joke, but it's true. It's like everyone congratulates you when you're pregnant, but nobody knows how many times you were fucked to get there. Correct. And no, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, just, yeah. it's, it's yeah. true. It's very true. It's true. Very that's true. business. Yeah, it's business. James, you got something on your mind there? No, no just... Uh, so your um, entrepreneurial journey, I know your brother um, is in business as well. So yeah. was entrepreneurship in your family? No. 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 It's, um, I, I, you know, when I was running an electrical company, um, I, yeah, my brother was whinging and complaining about his, um, his boss at the time. And I said, well, just do your own thing. So literally, we had the electrical business out of the garage. He, he was running his sign shop out of the garage and we've advanced from there. So it was, it was just... Let's not bother working for other people. And like I said, through my failures, it's helped him you know, trim up his, his business to make sure he doesn't go down the same track as me. Um, and then we started the program together. So we both worked in that um, pro-trade program. Um, and yeah, we learned, I learned a lot about business because yeah, and now to this day, we have you know, mum, mum working in, in the business. Um, she's been a phenomenal asset to the, to the company. So um, I brought her in and, and um, yeah, she's part of the furniture now. She runs all my people. How old are you? 43 this year. 43. You're mm. still so young. So, um, <laughs> it's got a baby face, eh? Yeah. No, 43. Yeah. So uh, what I love is just before we rolled tape here, I said, mm. you know, I just read that you've got a deal in the US yep. and 80% and of your revenue is now Australia. So you've mm. still got the whole world ahead of you. Yes. What I love is I asked him how many distributors you had. You said, oh, about 2,000. And, but I just read that you had just gotten in with a distributor in the US that has over 2,000 uh, retailers yeah. just in that chain. Just in there. Yeah, and you just, and I said, is that the 2,000? And you went, no, 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 that's another 2,000. Yep. That's like double your whole business from one relationship in the US. But you yep. said, oh, I don't count it until they're all selling my product because you only just happened in the last month. Tell us a little bit about that deal. How did that deal come? Who is the, who's the partner? How did it eventuate? What was it like negotiating that? And what are the steps there? It's a continuation of um, negotiation. So it's understanding that yeah, there's a problem in their market, um, you know, and we're solving that problem for them um, with the product. So they understand that. Um, then you talk to your key, because there's so many key people in their business, you know, from decision makers to um, people that, um, you know, that are coming in and wanting the product as well. So it's are they a retailer? Yeah, yeah they're, so they're a plumbing retailer. A plumbing retailer. What yep. would be an equivalent so, in Australia? Uh, Reese. Reese in Australia. Reese Plumbing? Yeah, Reese Plumbing Australia is the biggest plumbing company here in Australia. Um, and these guys, Ferguson's, they're, they're the biggest um, plumbing chain in America. So you've, you're now on their approved supplier yep. list. Yeah. So what do you do to get all 2,000 of those then now? Make, making sure we drive traffic to their stores, you know, traffic to go, hey, they're, they're over, you can purchase it through this store. So like the trade fair that'll be at next week, um, it's going, hey, Ferguson's um, can get this product for you. They want it, you know, con contractors, um, architects, landscape, you know, all the different trades that want it um, can now buy it through there. So you fly to the US, you go to trade shows, 
and, and the people at the trade shows are builders, plumbers, yeah, construction, yeah. and they're seeing the new products. And yeah. then so you're just telling the market, telling the market, yeah. and then you're directing them to, Correct. to them. And yeah. that's how you build the business in the Correct. US. So you get the distribution points there, you go to the trade fairs and the two come together. Engage them, yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you enjoy that? It's a lot of work. Yeah. But especially this one, this is the, the, the American one for us is, you know, is that new, it's, it's a start. It's that foundational step. So um, we're doing it here in Australia, you know, like you get tiring going there. There are big days on your feet, you know, the 12 hour day standard on your feet. They're, they're huge, they're, right? They're huge. I've done trade shows here. I hate them because yeah, of that. Because of that. Um, it's hard work. People yeah, don't understand. No, they Talking don't. to a lot of people yeah. and you're just rooted at the end of it. Absolutely. Yeah, huge days um, from the setup to, you know, running it, hosting it. But this has got a, I've got a pep in my step. This is really exciting. This is an exciting phase for America. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pumped, but I'll be there next week. How are you for capacity then in your factories if you're about to literally double a business potentially within 6, 12 months, retooling, expansion? Yeah, absolutely. That was always like through the growth, even in Australia. It was like, no, no, we need more, we need more, we need to, you know, we can put X amount of linear metres through a mould, otherwise it starts to get distorted for size. So making sure that we've got those expandability. So we've got, you know, moulds ready to go um, and from space. So how much time, how much... My capa- pretty much the capacity of the factory um, all constantly looking at um, to make sure that it can if double if not triple what I'm doing at any with, one time. With the trade show so in the US where is the trade show you're going to? Oh, this one's in Vegas. So you go to Vegas yep. what's the what's the scale of a stand in Vegas for you? Like how many people you got on the stand? How much does it cost to do it? Uh, so we're looking so I've got seven people this trip um, which is a, a, t- a 10 by 20 um, which is six by three meter so it's not a very big stand um, we're looking about 20 us thousand to um, for the spot space only um, to make a set like it's, uh, uh, we're making the set um, I'm putting to the, put together that myself um, with a couple of other team members um, in the states and getting it there setting it up um, but we look to get about 1,200 leads from, from a show like that. It's a three-day, 12-hour show, 12-hour um, um, day th- for three days. Um, so we're looking to get 1,000 to 1,200 leads from that actual show. And so you're getting name, phone number, email of people yep. interested. And then yep. what happens after the show? We're engaging them with stores where they, where they are. In so their you local call area. them up. Yeah, so a call, email, and um, yeah, all the basic fundamentals. And driving them. Yeah, yep, and driving that traffic back through the stores. And then the stores go, wow, this yep. product's selling. Yep. Are you doing the drop saw and all that over there? It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Right, look at the look on his face. It's He's coming. like, fuck yeah, I paid the price. I'm ready to go. I remember calling you about a month ago or so, just mm-hmm. checking in. Mm-hmm. And you were in the US. And I asked you, how's it going? And you said, it's fucking hard. I forget what it's like yep. in the first five years. Yeah. Touch on that. It hit, it hit me pretty hard last week because, you know, I've got pretty complacent in Australia. Things are running well. I've got amazing people that are doing amazing things every day. You know, I've just really surrounded myself with an, a, an epic team. You know, and my culture, again, it's probably a whole other podcast just on culture. But, um, you know, I, I've got a little bit complacent. You know, it's, everything's easy now, you know, orders and instructions. So going over there and not having that team, not even having trade connection over there, it took me 15 different companies to go around to get a CNC machine just to cut out some board that I needed for this trade fair. Like, I've got that on tap you know, here, yeah. I forgot about all those relationships, forgot about how, how difficult it was. So yeah, it hit me and I think you caught me right at the end of that, wow, I've had a big year. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, yeah, I've worked hard, I've, I've done things, um, but I'm not gonna have to do this again. You know, so it's foundational stuff. Now tell me about your commitment in the US. You're not just going there, you're, you're basically living there. You've got a house there now, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, so I found that whole going back and forth um, quite difficult. So setting up a house to make sure we've got a base there. You know, I took my family there for five weeks um, over Christmas while I shut the business down for two weeks, kicked it off again um, to the start of the year. But yeah, it, it's just a base platform, living out of suitcases and living out of hotels. I've done that for the last 14 years. Where's, where's the base? Um, so we're in Chino Hills in California. I got to connect you with a friend of mine, Brian Smith. Do you know Brian? No. He's the founder of Ugg Boots. Oh, okay, yeah. And uh, his story is very similar. Yeah, nice. And uh, yeah, he's a, he's a good friend and he, he shares that exact mentality was trying to crack the US with Ugg boots. And um, I'll, I'll connect you guys, you should have a coffee. It's not far from you. So, Amazing. Um, yeah, it's a great story. And people listening, they often think the US is just like Australia. It's a completely different world. Everything's yep. different. I remember when I landed there, it's like, what's a C Corp and an L Corp? And exactly. oh, you got to start from scratch yep. on all the most basic things. How does this tax work? And yep. it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's a beast. It, people, and people don't realize you, you're yep. really starting again. So. Man, we're going to be watching with uh, keen interest and, and seeing what you do there. So the next step now, I imagine, is you're going to grow the business in the U.S. Um, and yep. what are the long-term plans? Are you going to sell it? Are you going to keep it? Are you going to what's what, what's in your head for the future of of the business? I think I'm past the point what I thought I'd get to through the through the mentoring and the programming. So I I set some site uh, set, set some goals and. Now I've reached them. I'm, I've got you know different perspective on them. Um, life in self, you know, things that I want to do. So if I get to that fifty mark, I've got I've given myself to fifty. Um, so seven and a half more years. What position I'm in at that time? Um, whether I could carry on the business um, and continue to mentor and grow um, the whole the whole company rather than just you know work in it because um, I'm still the driver, I'm still the CEO. Um, you know, and look at trying to ensure that I've got a team that are you know. That are carrying through the legacy so i think it's you know ultimately we're changing the world one grade at a time so but it's one piece of great one great conversation one one great in uh, contact or one great catch up with a coffee you know i just want to do great things and i know as, as as corny as that sounds um that's what i'm ultimately out to do so if i get to that 50 mark and i want to continue to do great things um which i can't see that switching off why turn it off mm. why stop this why um why cap the beast um, I think this has got the potential, and the further I look around the world, you know, we've got the best best product in the world. I'm just going to make sure that the world knows about it. Yeah, there's a lot of drains out there, there and, is a lot. and and it's you don't need to go that wide. You just go deep, and yep. it's fantastic. <laughs> okay, I, I've been dying to ask you this question. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> You're pretty pretty solid guy, right? Tough mutter, true grit, Q1 stair challenge in the middle of China, in the middle of nowhere, setting up factories, talking to people. Yep. And I know that you spoiled yourself recently with a Porsche. Yeah. An electric Porsche. Yeah. Why the, an electric Porsche? <laughs> <laughs> Why not a V8, mate? Tell me. And this can't be about sustainability because you're running big factories. <laughs> nah, not about sustain- <laughs> nah, not, not sustainability. Um, I guess the idea of an electric vehicle, um, you know, it was, it was exciting at the time when the concept come up. But yeah, to spoil myself for, for my 40th birthday, the reward, the hard effort um, and work that I've put in. Um, and I, I guess it's, it's another distinguished side of me. It's like flying under the radar. And what I love about this vehicle is it's so damn fast, um, but it's not making noise. What is yeah. it, a Taycan? Or? A Taycan, yeah. Yeah, wicked. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's inconspicuous. Um, and if you don't watch out, it'll, it'll just fly past you, you yeah. know, and I don't know, that resonates with me, you know, it's, it's, and it's, it's a nice gift. 
that's for sure. He's taking the piss, mate. Don't take him serious. How did, <laughs> how did it feel, right, to reward yourself? Because I know us as entrepreneurs, my wife reminds me all the time, you don't celebrate your wins enough. You don't spoil yourself. No. And I know you're very, very similar. Yep. Now, awkward. Um, how did that make you feel? Awkward. Very awkward. Awkward. Yeah, very awkward. I, yeah, like I said, I, rewarding yourself isn't, I don't do it for that. I don't do it for the recognition. I don't do it for the, um, even with my no booze challenge that I'm you know, 14, uh, 13 months into, um, I don't do it to inspire other people, but other people are seeing inspiration in that. So Amazing. same with that, you know, is, is, you know, I didn't do that to inspire the people. Oh, you know, you work hard, you roll up your sleeves and you, you, you know, um, have a good crack at it and you can have a car like this too. It's, it's not, it wasn't any of that. It was um, just, just literal subtle reminders um, why why I'm doing this sort of stuff, you know? Uh, so it's 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 I want to get past that awkwardness because it's it doesn't get any easier, you know, spoiling yourself or treating yourself. No, um, I don't I don't know. It's something that doesn't exist in me. I bet there's a part of your brain going, I could buy X amount of linear meters for this Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And you know how much yeah, I know. It's exactly what happened when I bought absolutely. my first fancy car. I was like, absolutely. you know what I could do with this? Yep. He's the same, same with real estate. You just, yep. When I talked to Grant Cardone yep. when I was over there, he's just like, this is the dumbest shit ever. I should never be buying this stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, you do have to enjoy it a little bit too because it sneaks up on you. And as you said before, your kids don't get any younger in front they of you. Don't. And you've got to enjoy it. Yep. We're not guaranteed, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Tim, this has been a, an absolutely fascinating fascinating um, and real interview and I really appreciate uh, I know I speak on behalf of all of us here and more importantly our audience it's just so rare to have somebody on that has been through that much shit and is so candid and open about it and willing to um, share it all so thank you so much on behalf of all of us because this is exactly what we're trying to do here at Unemployable we're trying to get into those stories and underneath um, them not just to like the highfalutin concepts and the real shit that entrepreneurs go through. Yeah. And you, you've just given us a masterclass in what what entrepreneurship is really all about. So thank you. Yeah. No, thanks for having me. Um, really enjoyed, you know, obviously being able to discuss the story. And, and now, as I said earlier, I don't have to worry about um, what I did say because if I continue to tell the truth, around these situations, you know, and, and if it does help and inspire people, you know, and, and allows other people to, you know, to stay unemployed because they're, they're on that journey. Um, as you mentioned earlier, I've never, I've never seen myself as an unemployable person, um, but I am the definition of that. And, um, and I'm sure shit, there's more out there that are like it. And so if that helps and provides um, the inspiration, um, then, yeah, I'm going to continue to tell the truth around, you know, the good, the bad, the uglies in the, and all in between. Yeah, as they say, Love let's it, tell mate. the truth. It's much less to remember. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Guys, with that, uh, big thank you, Tim, um, for being here today. We super appreciate it. And uh, for all of you at home, if this uh, podcast has touched you in any way, please drop a comment because I know Tim's going to read them. Um, maybe you won't. We'll send them to you, at least the good ones. Um, <laughs> but drop a comment because... Uh, it really does uh, mean a lot to the guests to uh, know that their stories are landing. So thank you. Like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Have a great week out there. Thank you for listening from wherever you are. Tell your friends about the podcast. Subscribe and uh, we'll see you all soon. Thanks for being here, everyone. Bye for now. Ain't nothing about this is luck. Boy, this ambition. Nothing gets in our way. We on a clear mission. We making plans. We just trying to lift society. Working so hard that we growing notoriety. And we born with the drive, yeah, it's inside of me. Eric, Mark, and James, we giving game, they inspiring. Adam clear with
the vision is so deployable. You do what you want when you live in life, unemployable. 